I want to just share with you a few more thoughts about fasting and our fast that we've just concluded. Momentous event, uh, just tremendous. And uh, also I want to just, just help you understand what, what we've done and, and what you ought to be experiencing in, in your own life as you participated uh, in the church fast. God's in the business of setting the oppressed free. Are you aware of that? He's in the business. That's what he does. He sets the oppressed free. And as his church, he works through us. He allows us to participate with him in all that he does. Even this morning as we dedicated that little boy and how God allows us to participate in the act of creation. He allows us to participate in the act of of creation of new creatures, born-again people. We get to play a significant role in what God's doing. And not only just in the creation, but also in the nurturing and the, and the uh, maturing process. We get to play a significant role. But God works through his people. He chooses to sovereignly do that. And as we contemplate that, a big part of of a fast or spending any significant time or energy or effort in spiritual pursuits has to do with recognizing, has to do with understanding that dynamic, that we're participating with God, and that he's equipping us, he's going to work through us uh, and in us to do something new, something wonderful. How many of you have a have had periodically in your Christian experience a felt need for renewal, strengthening in your spiritual life? How many of you have struggled with um, the distractions of the world and just kind of being drawn off and, and all of a sudden, you know, it's not very long and you find yourself consumed with a whole bunch of things and, and, and God's kind of got crowded out. Does that, you find that to be true? And so that happens fairly regularly for us. I mean, this human nature that we live in, this human Physical life is very easily drawn off, and uh, we need en- regularly to enter back into the times of intense spiritual activity to bring ourselves back where God wants us, to bring ourselves back in accord, in align with His agenda of things. And so fasting is a time where that can occur. When we, we enter into regular periods of fasting, regular periods of intense spiritual activity and prayer and seeking the Lord, that we find ourselves coming back, refocusing in order, in line with the things of the Lord. Priorities. Out of our fast, we've had an opportunity to reorient, to realign our priorities. And Isaiah has something to say about priorities. We weren't fasting just not to eat. We weren't fasting to lose weight, although several of us lost considerable weight. We weren't fasting to manipulate God, to get him to do what we want him to do. We weren't on some kind of a spiritual hunger strike. We were fasting so that we might reorient our priorities that they would fit God's priorities. Does that make sense to you? 
because we need to come back. We need regularly to go through these periods of rethinking, reorienting. I want you to read with me from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is talking about the effect of intense spiritual or religious activity, what it, what it evidences, what it leads to in a person's life. The Jews, the Israelites were fasting, but it was an empty, religious, ritualistic experience only. And God says, I'm not interested in that. In another place, the prophet says, uh, God speaks to the prophet and says, the, the people praise me with their lips. They just pay me lip service. And he says, I want their life. It's not just the sacrifice of bulls and goats that makes any difference. It's becoming a living sacrifice. And again, this theme of reorienting ourselves, reevaluating what are my priorities, what's important, what's really bottom line important, and who am I as a Christian? What does it mean to my life? How do I relate? What's God called me for? What's He called me to? So these questions are so important, so significant. So Isaiah speaks to it, and he says in verse 6, talking about fasting, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Then he goes to list some characteristics. He says to loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the, of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, You see, God wants to work through us to set the oppressed free. Spiritually, the spiritually oppressed. Those who are emotionally oppressed. Those who are oppressed by uh, injustice. Those who are oppressed physically. In any way, any manner, and we could talk for a long time and, and delineate all the manners and ways and means and kinds of oppression that there are, But basically, whatever way you can imagine, God has equipped his church, he's called his church to move into that arena and begin to set people free. All of us have have friends and family, people who aren't saved. They're spiritually oppressed. The devil has them. He has them firmly in his grasp. And yet we have the ability through the Holy Spirit to set people free. And so God calls us. Now, we have to understand that this is a significant, significant part of being a Christian. The commission to participate in setting the oppressed free. He goes on and he says this. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? He's talking essentially about ministry. Not that you have to become a missionary, vocational minister, a missionary or vocational pastor, but that you begin to look around and in the context of your own life system, there are tremendous opportunities for ministry, tremendous opportunities to meet needs, to reach out and touch someone's life in a significant and a meaningful way that will bring glory to the Lord and bring help to that person. It's all around us, isn't it? Tremendous opportunities for ministry. 
So if you were fasting, as you've come out of the period of fasting, if you've come out of that time of prayer, have you come away with a reorientation of your life and your attitudes about where you're going to spend your time, energy, and resources? About what's really important? Or are you still out here someplace wandering around feeling useless, feeling irrelevant, feeling um, you can't relate to church, to God? Because if you're still out here, you need to come back and be thinking about what really is important. What really counts? He says, then... Verse 8, your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Underline that word quickly. I think that's important. When will your healing quickly appear? It'll appear when, what? When you're lined up with the Lord. Doesn't Jesus say it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the things that you're concerned and worried about He says, I'll take care of them. I'll make your way straight. Isn't that glorious? Tremendous promise. He says, then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. God's going to guard the whole backside. No one's going to sneak up on you. You can keep going. You don't have to look over your shoulder anymore. You don't have to worry about anything, because the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. Isn't that glorious? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Call upon the Lord and he will say, Here am I. See, we need reorientation periods, don't we? We need to think through and say, Where am I? What what, what am I doing? Where's my life at? How am I relating to the Lord? How am I not? And so these times of fasting, these times of spiritual activity, afford us opportunities to think through and, and reevaluate and come back and reorient ourselves so that our priorities are His priorities. That our priorities are His priorities. Remember Proverbs. The writer said, Lean not on your own understanding but acknowledge him in all of your ways. And as you do that, the Lord will make your way straight. He'll open the door for you. He'll bless your life. He'll fill you full of joy and peace and goodness. Blow your mind right away. Then Isaiah goes on to say this. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, in other words, if you start ministering, if you if you start stepping out, you do away with the pointing finger and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday, become the brightest part of the day. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. And you will be like a well-watered garden 
like a spring whose waters never fail. What a beautiful picture of a life that is strengthened and sustained by the Lord once that life has been reoriented, brought back in line with God's point of view, God's perspective. Is God a good God? He's a God who wants to bless, doesn't he? And it's, a, it's an absolute mystery to me how he can bless through me. It's an absolute mystery to me why he's chosen me to, par- to participate with him in his plan. But he has, nevertheless. And so I've just taken this attitude that I'm going to bring the few fishes and loaves that I have available, and I'm going to bring them to him and let him multiply them and do his mighty work. And keep an eye for, for ministry. Keep an eye for ministry towards my family. My wife said during this fast, 14 days. First of all, when I started on it, she was a little nervous. She didn't know how I was going to be. <laughs> and so I asked her toward the end, I think it was about the 11th or 12th day, I said, how, how have I been? She, she just asked me, she says, she says, you've been a lamb, an absolute lamb during this fast. <laughs> And I thought, well, that's wonderful. And I didn't have to work at it. God was just doing a wonderful work in me. He showed me some tremendous things. Spoke to me about some tremendous things. But it's, it's, it's ministry. Ministry to our family. It's not speaking maliciously. It's guarding our... Remember we talked, uh, what, last week about our words? Guarding our mouth. Not grieving the Holy Spirit. It's all those kinds of things wrapped up. And, and, and what we've been studying in Ephesians, it's learning to put off the old and, and to put on the new. And the fast only underscored these things for me personally. Putting off the old and putting on the new. Reorienting my thinking, my attitudes, my very life. Uh, bringing it back in line with the things uh, that God would have. I'm going to turn over to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Look with me at verses 31 and 32. Paul, again, you know, we're continuing that theme of putting off the old and putting on the new and living out this new life. And he's been giving us a number of things that are characteristic of that process. And then he says in verse 31, get rid of some of your bitterness and a little bit of your rage and anger. After all, you're entitled to hold on to some of it. Right? Is that what he says? No, get rid of what? All of it. He's uncompromising, isn't he? Paul's that way. He's pretty, pretty definitive in those kinds of things. He says, get rid of all of it. If you're a Christian, get rid of all of your rage. Get rid of all of the anger, get rid of all the bitterness, get rid of all the um, anger, malice. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Back in that passage in Isaiah, over uh, in verse, uh, latter part of verse 9, he says, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger, with malicious talk, Isaiah and Paul weren't contemporaries, but they understood the principles. 
If you get rid of these things, if you, if you move them out of your life, and then God will bless you. So he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Don't hold on to it. Even though you want to, even though you may feel like you have a right to. Get rid of it. Get rid of brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Every form of evil in your heart, get rid of it. Last night was a wonderful time. Opportunity for people to be prayed for. We had prayer going on in the communion room in the prayer room last night. And I know many, many people were broken, convicted. I had one woman come up to me and tell me, you know, I, she was here Friday night and she came last night and she says, I, I heard what you had to say Friday night and I went home and I've been harboring bitterness and anger towards my brother and I went home and I asked him to forgive me and they had repented and God just wonderfully restored their relationship. But there were tremendous, tremendous healings going on last night as a result of people taking this to heart. Get rid of it. Don't hold on to it. It's destructive. It's destructive not only to the relationship you have with another person. It's destructive to the relationship you have with God. It's destructive to the relationship you have with yourself. These things only eat us alive from the inside out. So he says, get rid of them. And then be kind. Replace it with kindness. Make a choice to become kind. Become kind. Become kind. Become a lamb. How many have ever known someone who's truly kind? They've been very kind. They're a kind person. A gentle person. Become kind. Get rid of those things. Become kind. And, what's the other word he has there? Compassionate. Become kind and compassionate. Have compassion. Look at people through the eyes of Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, the Gospel writers would say when Jesus was ministering with people, when he was setting the oppressed free, after he'd spent some time in intense spiritual activity, prayer, seeking his Father, seeking what his Father would have him do, then he would go and he would set the oppressed free, and the Gospel writers would say, Jesus being moved by compassion healed them. Be kind and compassionate. Let your, let your heart break for the grief in the world, for sorrow in people's lives, for the sin and what it's done as Jesus. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb. You know why? Not because Lazarus was so much dead. He wept at Lazarus' tomb because as he looked around, he saw the hardness of men's hearts. He saw what sin had done to his creation. It tore him up. It ought to tear us up. It ought to break our hearts. 
and stimulate us to be different, to be kind and compassionate, even to those who are our enemies, even to those who would ridicule us, even to those who would take advantage of us, even to those who would rip us off. Hard thing to do. We have a strong tendency to be defensive, to take an antagonistic posture to those people. Rather than moving in the power of the Spirit of God and reaching out to those people, reaching out to those people, reaching out to those people, and ministering and setting the oppressed free, overcoming the darkness with light. He says, become kind and compassionate. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, one of the biggest, most significant, the most, one of the most important elements in people's lives? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. The need to receive it as well as the need to give it. Forgiveness. Just flat out forgiveness. I forgive you. Please forgive me. I was wrong. No stance of self-justification. No, but, but, you don't understand. But, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Would you please forgive me? Or, I forgive you. You know, if we had a lot more of that going on, we'd have a lot less divorces today. This country would be in a lot better shape than it's in. Forgiveness. Forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Do you suppose... Do you suppose that um, when people do things wrong, when people offend us, they offend each other, do you suppose they, that they know what they're doing? To some degree, huh? But not really. Not really. There's so much more to that whole dynamic of, of interaction, interpersonal interaction, that affects us so much more deeply than most people are really aware of. Most people really aren't aware of what they're doing. The person who really can forgive is the person who appreciates his forgiveness. When you have a grasp of it, there's no way in the world that you cannot forgive somebody. Remember Jesus on the cross? People were standing at the foot of the cross, yelling at him, jeering at him, mocking him, telling him to come down, spitting at him still. Pouring out his life, And yet from the cross, he still cries out and he says, Father, what? Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. When you and I have compassion on somebody, when when humanly speaking, we had every right to be angry at them, righteously angry. But when we have compassion on them, we do so because we look at them, they really don't understand what's going on. They really don't know what they're doing. You're not making an excuse for them. 
But your perspective, your, your perspective is much broader. You understand more of what's going on, the great reality. So many people are blinded by Satan. They're blinded by sin. They don't have a concept of what's going on. And that we would have compassion and forgive them just as in Christ God has forgiven us. That's a tremendous thing. And it's tremendously difficult. And yet that's still the standard. Why don't you look at Matthew with me, chapter 18, verse 21. The parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter, of course, being very magnanimous, thinking this is great. I'm really, boy, look at me, Jesus. I'm willing to forgive up to seven times. People are always saying that. They're always, that question is always being asked. Well, how many times do I have to do that? How many times do I have to put up with this? Seven times? Should that be sufficient? Does that show that I have enough forbearance? What's Jesus' response? I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, it's not, it's not saying literally 77 times. You say, well, what's, what's the magical thing about 77? No. The idea is an infinite number of times. Our attitude be, should be such that I, I'll forgive that person forever, if necessary. Every time they offend me, forever I'll forgive them. I'm not going to take into account a wrong. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to have compassion just as God has compassion on me. And then Jesus goes on to illustrate that principle with this parable of the kingdom. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, that's the equivalent of about several million dollars, was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, the equivalent of just a few dollars, grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. That's always puzzled me. I wondered, how in the world does he ever expect this guy to pay the debt back when he's in prison? And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailers and 
until he could pay back all he owed. And this is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. From your heart, that's the key phrase. Underline those three words, from your heart. It's not just lip service. It's not just saying, well, I forgive you. I forgive you, and then then you harbor bitterness in your heart towards that person. You harbor anger, resentment. Now you forgive from the heart. You see, that's, that's part of what it means to be a Christian. Is that your life is being transformed. You're a person who's, who's letting God work through you to set the oppressed free. And it's only when we lay our lives down in tangible ways, sacrificial ways, that the door is open then for the oppressed to be set free. Forgiveness is one of the great avenues for that to happen. So as Paul says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I pray that For all of us, because of this two-week period of time, to whatever degree you participated in the fast, that there would be a marked change in your life, a marked difference, that your priorities would indeed be reoriented, that you would have come back to the Lord in a fresh new way, be strengthened in some areas that were weak, that you could serve Him more wholeheartedly. He's wonderful. He's glorious. He's awesome. We're but dust. This planet is but a speck of dust spinning throughout the universe. And why he's mindful of us, I'll never know. But he is. And he's deserving of all of our worship and our praise. You love him today? Do the things Paul said. Because as you look into the next chapter, Paul's going to tell us to be like him. Be like him. We'll look at that next time. Let's pray.